Hi everyone, I'm Sophia. And I'm Prerak. And this is Red, White, and Brown, a podcast where we talk about the joys and struggles of being Desi immigrants. So today, backed by popular demand, we are chatting all about the questions that everyone has sent to us. So we actually did a Q&A to start season three. And when we did that, we actually had so many questions that we were not able to get to all of them. And so we just figured it would be fair to do another episode covering more questions. So let's go ahead and get started. So the first question is about student life. And it says, how do we deal with procrastination? And ultimately, how do you get out of it? And I love this question because at the end of the day, we're all procrastinators at heart. And there's an excellent TED Talk that discusses this, and it actually takes you inside the head of a master procrastinator and shows you just why procrastinating is so common among all of us. So we're going to obviously link this full TED Talk in the show notes, but I wanted to first share a clip just because it's such an innovative TED Talk and it has over like 60 million views. So let's listen to that clip now. So the rational decision maker will make the rational decision to do something productive, but the monkey doesn't like that plan. So he actually takes the wheel and he says, actually, let's read the entire Wikipedia page of the Nancy Kerrigan, Tanya Harding scandal, because I just remember that that happened. (laughs) Then then we're going to go over to the fridge. We're going to see if there's anything new in there since 10 minutes ago. After that, we're going to go on a YouTube spiral that starts with videos of Richard Feynman talking about magnets and ends much, much later with us watching interviews with Justin Bieber's mom. <laughs> All of that's going to take a while, so we're not going to really have room on the schedule for any work today. Sorry. So this is an interesting way to think about procrastination, right, Sophia? And with that being said, I wanted to start by getting your opinion. What do you think is the answer to this question? How do you deal with procrastination and what is your methodology? I mean, this is so hard and it's also so relevant because I am a huge procrastinator and I actually wrote a blog post on it where I went a lot more in depth than I'm going to go right now. Um, So we can link that in the show notes also. Um, But I think that the main things I have found that affect my productivity are my location and the level of like scheduling that I do. So I find that I am a lot more productive when I'm in a library or even a coffee shop um, than when I am at home. And I wish this were not the case because, you know, obviously it's things are virtual. It's a pandemic. We are spending a lot more time at home and that's where I'm least productive. Um, But it is what it is. That's something I've noticed about myself. And I also do better when there is natural light around. Um, I think a lot of people feel this way. So it's probably not just me. Um, I think I was able to take advantage of this a lot more pre-pandemic. And I used to go and study in libraries and whatnot. Um, even when it was like really cold and snowy in New Haven, I would still like do the 20 minute trek to, um, the library just because I was so much more productive there. But, um, obviously a little bit less able to do that now, but things are slowly returning back to normal. Um, it's February of 2022. So (laughs) that's um, what we said, I think in 2019. (laughs) Yeah. Oh goodness. But yeah. And then I guess the other thing that helps, um, for for me is scheduling my day so that I kind of know what I'm supposed to be doing at each time. And like, also it forces me to be realistic about what I can feasibly achieve and, you know, so that I don't make an unrealistic to-do list. How about you? So I was going to ask you, is it just home that you feel like you can't study at? Or is it like any place that's like super quiet? 
Oh, no, it's just my home. It's just your home. So you you could do like libraries and stuff. Okay, got it. Um, So funnily enough, for me, I actually embrace a lot of procrastination. Um, And I think this is because when I come across a big task that's due obviously a long time from whenever I get it, I almost inevitably put it off, but I add the deadline into my calendar and the deadline is almost always in the back of my head. And so as I'm working to the deadline, I'm consistently ruminating on it and it allows me to think about the things that I want to talk about and even brainstorm ideas. And then about like three to five days before the project is due, that's when I do a lot more of the heavy lifting and getting all of my like ducks in a row. And then because I've been thinking about the project as much as I have been, I actually end up finishing the task way faster than I've done in the in, in the past where I like literally try to work on it a little bit every day. Um, so you know, all of this is, I think, synergistic with obviously the calendar where you're obviously know where the deadline is and you're working toward it. But personally, for me, just that aspect of brainstorming and taking a bit of time ahead of schedule is ultimately what like really helps me. Um, I don't know. Does that surprise you at all? Not really. I mean, I'm definitely not surprised that you embrace procrastination. I feel like we maybe have talked about it before, but I feel like I knew that about you. Mm-hmm. Um, and it makes sense that you kind of use it to like, force yourself to be more efficient. Um, And I feel like if that works for you, that's awesome. I am definitely the type of person who does like to work on things a little bit at a time. And I like to be able to stop working when I get bored of something and then like come back to it later when I'm in the mood. And so like, that's only really possible if you start working on it early enough, kind of, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, So like, I think knowing yourself is key and figuring out, you know, which type of person you are and what works for you. Definitely. And I think regardless of the type of person you are, there are certain things you mentioned that I think will work for almost everyone. So you made a great point earlier about having a to-do list because that's that tells you exactly what you need to get done and when you need to do them. The only caveat I will add there is sometimes I'm one of those like pathologic to-do list people who makes a to-do list that is like unattainable. And so <laughs> one thing that I've learned is to make a good to-do list, you actually need to be very constrained at times. So try to focus on like the eight at most, for me, it's eight important things that I need to do throughout the day. And then actually, once I finish those eight things, I've learned to like give myself a break. Uh, and the reason for that is because, first of all, eight things is a lot. And second of all, if I try to do more than those eight things, I just find myself spreading myself like very thin. And that leads to a lot of like unrealistic expectations and ultimately, like for me, a lot of burnout. Wow, that is a really good pivot, actually, to our next question that was submitted by our audience. And so the next question is, what do you think about toxic productivity? Yeah, so this is definitely a big thing that's in our generation. So today there is this whole realm of productivity gurus on YouTube, and there's an increasing (laughs) number of people who are trying to do more and more in like a short amount of time. And I think that's essentially what toxic productivity is, which is like this outsized desire for productivity um, at all times, and even at the expense of our own like priorities, which is like family life and even hobbies. And honestly, it's funny because I see this more and more with the advent of more and more creators having been a YouTuber myself. And it's just crazy because I think there's people who are making videos who have no idea what the hell they're talking about. Uh, and that's created this culture where like everyone feels like they need to be doing something at all times. Yeah, I definitely think being on social media can lead to a feeling of like, oh, I need to be doing all these things to like keep up with everyone else. Absolutely. So for that reason, I think toxic productivity is like a really bad trend. Um, It leads to a lot of negative mental health. 
And I think it reaffirms this certain level of incompetence and sadness. So with that being said, one way I like to keep myself in check is by recognizing that things online are not indicative of everyone's real life. The things we see online are usually like the top 5% of like what's happening in everyone else's life. Whereas like we're seeing 100% of our own life and it's obviously like a not a fair comparison. Mm -hmm. And so you see like everyone doing amazing things, but again, that's their top 5%. And then you feel like you aren't doing everything, but that's because you're absorbing like 100% of your own life. And obviously your 100% is never going to compare to anyone else's top 5%. Yeah. So what do you, what do you think about toxic productivity, Sophia? Yeah, I mean, what you just said is exactly, um, it's like they say Instagram is a highlight reel, right? Mm -hmm. It's it's just the best parts. But um, I think, so on one hand, I feel like the term toxic productivity and like the idea itself is a little bit like millennial just because, you know, we're the generation that's focused on mental health and is kind of like talking about these things for the first time. Mm -hmm. um, and there's a part of me that thinks that previous generations were focused on survival and like they didn't really have the luxury of thinking about how much of a toll it can take on you to constantly feel the need to be productive and, you know, not take breaks and stuff. But then the other part of me feels like things were just so much simpler, you know, 20 or 30 years ago before the internet. And now we have the internet, aka access to like infinite knowledge yeah, at our fingertips at all time. Um, and there's almost no excuse to not be constantly productive, right? It's like before when you wanted to do some sort of research project for school, for example, you would have to go to the library and order a book and then you would wait a week for them to get the book <laughs> and then you could use the book and then maybe you would realize, oh, I need some other information. So you'd like go back to the library and like you weren't, <laughs> you just like were not expecting to do the entire project in one day. That just wasn't possible. Yeah. But now you kind of are because the access to information is just so it's just so available. And so because of that, there are less kind of breaks built into life and you don't do things over as long of a period of time. Right. Like what used to take a week is now expected to get done in a day. Yeah. Um, and so I, I feel like there was a little bit less need to be constantly productive a generation ago anyways, just because it wasn't possible. Um, and I personally like being productive and using the limited time that I have to get things done, but I also completely understand why breaks are important and necessary. And I think anyone who isn't taking breaks will have their work product suffer because yeah. of that. Um, I, I think we've probably all seen that in our lives. And so I guess, yeah, I think toxic productivity is bad. I mean, it has the word toxic in it, right? So it's impossible to say that you think it's good. Yeah, your aspect of information overload is well taken because if you even look at the amount of medical information, for example, that's mm -hmm. like doubled in just the last like 10 to 15 years. So oh, that's yeah. just like one example of like information has exploded and will continue to explode at exponential rates, which is to a certain extent one of the reasons why people feel this need to be more productive. But I also don't think that this is a good thing, right? The movement started from the right place, which was if you're more productive, you can get more done in the time that you have allotted so you can focus on the things that matter to you, which is family or whatever it is that matters to you outside of work. Mm -hmm. But ironically, when you now do toxic productivity, that actually then creates a culture where, again, you're, be you're trying to be so productive all the time, and that actually leads you to not be able to focus on the things that you wanted to focus on in the first place, right? Like it – like literally causes the detriment of mental health, which I think productivity was intended to like kind of avoid in the first place. 
Hmm, that makes sense. I I get that. What do you think about like the flip side of the coin, which is like being proactive and trying to make the most of you know the time that we are given? Um, I mean, there's a lot of motivational type books and things like Atomic Habits, for example, which you recommended.、Mm-hmm. Um, you know, to me, and I think we may have even talked about it on another episode, which talks about you know maximizing the time that we have. Yeah, I'm a massive fan of Atomic Habits. We'll definitely link the book in the show notes, and、um, I'll, I'll tell you a bit about why I like it. But I think what you're saying is right: being proactive with the time that you have. But the problem with toxic productivity is that it just assumes you, you're using all your time. So I think it's fair if you're going to say I'm going to work for an hour and I want to be as effective as I can in that hour.、Um, and so. That is just one point that I think is one of the reasons why toxic productivity is bad. If you now focus on Atomic Habits, Atomic Habits also talks about the fact that goals themselves are actually, to a certain extent, very meaningless because they let they make you focus on the wrong thing. Instead, what we should all be focusing on is systems, right? Like, if I want to get more done, how do I create an environment and、mm-hmm. system that allows me to do that, and not just like an eighty-page to-do list? That is like. Not a means to an end to a certain extent. Yeah. So I think there's a brief excerpt from the book that's summarized by my good friend Ali Abdal, who's like another productivity guru on YouTube. So I'm going to play that now, and we can kind of just discuss what exactly it means to focus on systems rather than goals. Screw goals and focus on systems instead. James identifies four main problems with goal setting. Firstly, winners and losers have the same goals. Every Olympian wants the gold medal. Every candidate wants the job, and so it can't be the goal that actually differentiates people. Secondly, achieving a goal is only a momentary change. Sure, I might be able to pluck up the activation energy to kind of bring myself to clean my room, but if I continue my waste man habits and systems that led to the room getting messy in the first place, I'm just going to be left with a messy room again in a few days' time. In the same way, when we achieve a goal, we only change our life for the moment. We get these temporary results. Instead, what we really need to change is the systems that caused those results in the first place. Thirdly, James argues that goals restrict our happiness. There's an implicit assumption behind any goal, and that's once I reach my goal, then I'll be happy. And so we end up continuously putting off happiness until the next milestone. Finally, goals are at odds with long-term progress. There's another really nice quote here: "The purpose of setting goals is to win the game. The purpose of building systems is to continue playing the game." So yeah, all all great points.、Um... I think your distinction、uh, definitely makes a lot of sense. It's about drawing boundaries and like doing the most with the time that you have, but that doesn't mean all twenty-four hours in your day are you know going to be for work.、Um, cool. So let's move on to the next question, which is, what are things slash factors to consider when picking a college or medical school? This is actually hilarious. I, I'm publishing a YouTube video on this very topic, actually. So I'll link that video on the description below, and it'll be published by the time this this show goes active. Nice.、Um, but you know, the interesting part about this question is that there are two schools mentioned. There's college, and then there's medical school. I think there are certain facets that you should consider for both college and medical school, but then there are also facets that are unique to to just medical school. So let me start with the factors to consider、uh, for. For both, for both college and medical school, there's three big ones that I like to group it into. First one is location, right? Like, where do you want to be? And if you're in the U.S., like, what part of the country? You know, Pacific,、uh, Northwest, Midwestern. Where do you want to be in the country? 
The second factor is, does, does the school that you're going to have what you need career-wise, resource-wise, and prestige-wise? So is going to, for example, I went to UC Berkeley, is that going to be helpful if you want to go to medical school? Uh, does that have the location that you want? Does it have the prestige that you want? All of those things are important. And some people care more about prestige than others. You just have to see where you fall on that spectrum. And I, and I totally acknowledge that prestige is like a totally bullshit term, but unfortunately, it does play a role for a lot of people, and it is important to consider it if it's important to you. And the third factor that's really important is financials, right? Um, college is at least $30,000 a tuition a year, which ends up being at least $120,000 of like money over four years, and more than that if you're going to a private university. So seeing what kind of financial aid they give, seeing how it factors into your long-term plan, and seeing if it actually like allows you to get out of like four years without being like $400,000 in debt. The only other nuance is, is if you're considering medical school, I think you also should consider like how that medical school will set you up for your future. So if you're interested in like pediatrics, like you, Sophia, you want to see if that medical school um, has had a good pediatric match list uh, from the past. And similarly, if you're going to like plastic surgery, doing the same thing. Uh, did you, what about you, Sophia? Like what are the factors that you would consider in terms of picking medical school and undergrad? So I think our lists are pretty similar. I think everything you said for med school, um, I, I would echo all of that. Um, I think generally um, there's a few things to consider. I think the biggest one is money. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I think I've been thinking about this topic more and more as I see the discussion around student loan forgiveness happening. Mm -hmm. Nowadays, that was obviously a big campaign promise. Um, it was Biden a campaign Harris. promise? Kind of like, I don't know if it was officially said, but I think it was implied. And I think um, there's just been a lot of talk about that. Mm -hmm. And just, um, yeah, maybe it wasn't an official promise, but it's definitely something people have been expecting and hoping for. I'll just pretend it's a promise so I can make <laughs> myself feel better. <laughs> um, but I, I mean, the other thing is like the sort of repayments were paused, right? For a lot of folks with... Yeah federal loans. Um, and interest rates went down to zero. Exactly. Interest rates went down. And so there's been a lot of discussion, I think, about student debt just among millennials and in the U.S. recently alongside mm. the election and uh, alongside the pandemic. Um, and so I think actually this is something that they see American community maybe didn't see as much with their parents just because like most of our parents didn't go to school in the U.S., um, and if they did, it was like grad school, which is usually paid for, right? And so there's a lot of like nuances there, but I totally agree with you. Yeah, yeah. Or if they did go to college, like they might have just gone to like a local college, not like, you know, a private university and taking out loans sort of situation. Um, so I think a lot of us Daisy Americans didn't necessarily go through like seeing our parents you know, pay off student debt or talking about it in that way. Mm -hmm. um, but I think the truth of the matter is that a lot of people in their 30s and 40s now are seeing the long-term effects of taking out massive loans. They're seeing the interest pile up and, you know, they've lived through multiple recessions now. Mm -hmm. And, you know, maybe they didn't have the career opportunities that they thought a college education would bring. Um, and so I think being very mindful of the financial piece is important. And I feel like a younger me would have said like, oh, no, just go to the best school possible. Like, you know, <laughs> money is no issue. I, I don't know. Like, I, I think when I was picking, you know, where to attend, I I thought about the financial piece, but it wasn't the most important. Mm -hmm. Um 
And did your parents factor that in too? Were they also like, we are, we just want you to go to the best place finances are no issue? Yeah, I, I think so. Um, and I also applied for a lot of scholarships. Like, you know, obviously, like, I applied for financial aid and whatnot, but I also applied to a lot of external scholarships, more scholarships than I applied to universities. Mm -hmm. And I did receive a lot of scholarship money. Mm. Um, and so, to be honest, um, I wasn't making a final decision just on the financial piece alone. Mm -hmm. um, but I think a lot of students are probably in a position where, like, they're comparing offers and there there might be a really big financial discrepancy between different options. Um, and so I think nowadays, um, I think it's just a really important factor to consider given that tuition is just so high, interest rates are so high. Um, the cost of education is getting out of hand. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, so I think that's a really big piece of it. And then outside of that, I think the location kind of similar to what you said, I think along with the location comes kind of like opportunities outside the classroom. Mm -hmm. Um, so like going to school in New York city, it's like, you're not just limited to, you know, the opportunities that NYU is offering you, you have the whole city at your fingertips. And, you know, I, I do think it's, ideal to graduate college with um, some set of like work experiences and you know you don't want to have a degree but like no real world skills right yeah yep. um, and I think a city like New York offers that too right like you get a lot of real world skills like navigating the subway knowing mm -hmm. where to go knowing how to find your way around in like a very big town like all of these intangible skills are also like one of the Im implicit benefits of, of college yeah exactly and like when I say real world skills, it's not like I'm saying you need to know how to like re replace your roof yeah. or something, <laughs> but like it could be, it could just be as simple as like knowing how to run Excel formulas, knowing how to use various softwares and programs that like people in your field use. Um, and sometimes you gain a lot of those skills through internships and jobs. And so because of that, I think, you know, some cities offer more in the way of career opportunities than like smaller towns. And so it's something to think about. Um, and and towns also have people, right? More more like New York City has more people than like a rural city might. And people means connections, and connections are usually the people who can tell you or teach you things that you may not otherwise know as well. So that's another very underrated aspect. Um, so great answer, Sophia. So what's the next question on the list? So next question is: um, Is there anything you would change about your experience in college or med school? Oh, man. Okay. Well, I like this question, but I also don't like this question because I'm not one of those people who likes to have any regrets or want to change things because I feel like almost everything has happened for a reason. It's super sappy. Uh, and even if it sucked, you know, it's helped me become who I am and I'm grateful for that. But, you know, with all of that being said, I think one thing that I think I should do more of moving forward that I have not done nearly as much of is just like focusing on myself and who I am outside of like my academic achievements or even like my academic like mentality. Mm -hmm. So who am I outside of like a doctor? What matters a lot to me? Uh, what are the types of things I look for in like people? What are the types of relationships I want to like foster? Because as you know, like time is finite and we only have so much. And, you know, you can live your whole life thinking about academics and you can live your whole life thinking about like patient care and working in the hospital. But I think at the end of the day, it does come down to like, what do you value? Who are you? 
Um, and ultimately, like down the road, what do you want to leave as your legacy? Is it going to be your family? Is it going to be you? Is it going to be your academic achievements? So it's like super deep. But I think like doing a little bit more of that is like something that I wish I had done in undergrad. Um, but yeah, what about you, Sophia? Well, I kind of agree that, um, you know, you don't want to change too much because it's led you to where you are today. And I am happy where I am. So I, I wouldn't change too much. But the one thing that does come to mind is that I don't feel like I pushed myself too far out of my comfort zone in terms of hobbies or skills. Like, I wish I had learned to play a musical instrument or to dance or something like that. And college is a really good time to do that just because, for example, there are so many dance teams that hold workshops and they'll, like, kind of teach you a little bit, you know? There's so many talented people that you are going to be living with on campus for four years um, that it's a great time to kind of learn from them. And, you know, even, like, the example of learning a musical instrument, it's like there were so many people on campus who could play the piano and like I could have just had someone teach me and that would have costed like a fraction of what it costs after college you know like in yep. the real world taking piano classes is way more expensive than doing something like that on campus um well actually at Berkeley there was a class called underwater basket weaving right like <laughs> where are you ever going to learn something like that like it's such a such a nuanced subject that like as I'm saying like you're only going to find certain things like this in college that's so funny. Was that class like underwater? Yeah, like, like you literally like pool? yeah, you go out to a pool and you like try to basket weave underwater. That's so <laughs> random. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I think I would probably pick a more useful skill than under <laughs> underwater basket weaving. But yeah, I, I think learning new skills outside of academics is really um, a good like college is just a great time to do that and like I was on the archery team for a while mm -hmm. but I wish I had like kept up with it more I didn't do it for all four years and when did it first two years or last two years like first couple years oh, and then I just got busy with classes and whatnot so mm -hmm. I didn't keep up with it but like that would have been a cool thing you know to yeah. really have kept up with and compete and stuff um so yeah I think that's that's what I would say I like that so Sophia, we've been talking for like 30 minutes. I love these questions. So I'm going to continue encouraging everyone to send in questions. We love, love answering things like this. And I think it tells us about ourselves and also what they see people are concerned about. Um, any, any last thoughts, Sophia? No, I think this about wraps us up. Thank you guys so much for listening. Um, we really appreciate it. Please make sure to subscribe to the podcast and Give us a nice rating and review, five stars only. Um, Don't be stingy. <laughs> and follow us on Instagram at redwhitebrownpod, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.